I'm Ayelet Marinovich. Welcome back to Strength in Words, a family enrichment program for parents, caregivers, and infants and toddlers of all developmental levels. In this podcast series, we get together to sing a few songs, discuss some ideas for play, outline some insight about early development, and talk about life as a parent or caregiver in these early years of parenthood. The mission of Strength in Words is to share that information by offering parent education programming and to promote caregiver-baby interaction by offering a supportive, uplifting space for all families to connect and learn through information, access to new ideas, and access to each other. This podcast was recorded with a live virtual audience and followed by a question and answer workshop with our guest. To be part of the next live workshop and to connect with a community of support, you can join the Strength in Words Community Lab by heading to community.strengthinwords.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll take just a moment of your time to leave a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more families and share our values of education, inclusivity, simplicity, and respect when it comes to early learning and early parenthood. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see you here today. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see you here. We can start by saying hello to the people who are with us. Hello to Ayelet, hello to the singers, hello, 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 hello to the babies, hello to the toddlers, hello, hello, hello. Since I don't know your name, I will help you sing the song and you can fill it in. Ready? Hello to your child's name, hello to your name, hello, 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 everybody, hello, everybody, hello, hello, hello. Today we are speaking with Dr. Kat Kayeni, a psychologist specializing in perinatal mental health. Let's give her a special welcome. Hello to Dr. Cat, hello to Dr. Cat, hello, 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 hello to all our new friends, hello to all our old friends, hello, 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 one last time. Hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here today. Hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here. Welcome to episode 64 of the Strength and Words podcast. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Kadayun Kayeni, a psychologist specializing in perinatal mental health and the creator and host of the Mom and Mind podcast. Dr. Kat has a private practice where she focuses on supporting new mothers and their families. She volunteers with Postpartum Support International and she works with San Bernardino County's Maternal Mental Health Work Group as a subject matter expert to provide training to local mental health and allied healthcare providers. So Kat, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Strength in Words. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I'm really happy to be here and share whatever I can about maternal mental health. It's such an important subject, as we all know. And uh, I've asked you to come onto the show today to speak about this topic of postpartum depression, anxiety, OCD, but why don't you tell us just a bit about your own professional and personal background and how it is that you came to do the work that you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So, right. I've been a therapist for quite a while now. I don't know if I lost count. But uh, so, 
Uh, my, in terms of my professional background, I've always known I wanted to be a therapist. I took a peer counseling class at age 12 and I was like, yep, this is it. <laughs> uh, which, so I've been on this trajectory for a while. But so in terms of why I started into this particular specialty is because I went through it. Let's see, I was already a psychologist working in a major medical system and uh, got pregnant with my first child. She'll be eight this next month. Yeah, so I got pregnant with her. Pregnancy was fine and great and wonderful. And uh, then after her birth, looking back now, I know that uh, my anxiety started day one after her birth. Mm -hmm. And uh, for about a year, I went through what, again, what I know now to have been postpartum depression um, postpartum anxiety and postpartum OCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did take me a long time to figure it out. And it's just heartbreaking that, you know, as a therapist, I'm supposedly supposed to be trained in sort of all things mental health. And I didn't know uh, what was going on because really there's a lack of training for just about everybody, for therapists, for doctors, OBs, uh, really, I mean, it's it's getting better these days, but there's a lack of training. So mm-hmm. other people weren't recognizing it. I wasn't recognizing it. I hadn't had the training to, to recognize it. I just knew that I didn't feel well. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was ashamed. And I felt like, especially as a therapist, I should be able to handle everything and know what was going on. And yeah, there's just all this shame and guilt and confusion around that period of time. And once I figured it out and started reading about it and saw my symptoms listed in a book, I could see that, oh, this isn't just in my head. It's a thing. (laughs) And that was such relief. Yeah. So since then, I really been gung-ho all in to making sure that other moms get the information they need. Absolutely. And I mean, like you said, early parenthood is so in general, such a time of that vulnerability, overwhelm, you know, we're lack of confidence, all of those things, you're in charge of a new human being. So of course, you're going to be feeling those feelings already. And then to have that sort of bombarded as well with another layer is, um, yeah, it's rough. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. And knowing what I know now, I can look back and say like, oh yeah, of course I had it. Like yeah. that, I had several risk factors that would have put me um, in a more vulnerable position for that. And it's so nice to know that now, but I wish I had known it then. <laughs> right. Well, I look forward to hearing a bit more about some of those kinds of things as we share them uh, over the course of this episode. But First, I think, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about the various ways that hormones can affect our postpartum experience. So can you give us just a brief overview of the differences essentially between, you know, the baby blues, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. So first what I'll say about hormones is that if you are already in your history, have a sensitivity to hormone changes like PMS, PMDD, those kinds of things, you're more likely to Mm -hmm. experience of perinatal anxiety or depression, either in pregnancy or in postpartum. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's different for everybody, but so there's like a biological sensitivity there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for even for people who don't necessarily have that history, they can still develop symptoms. Certainly. So for the baby blues, which are very common in about 80% of women are about the two weeks after birth. So you'll have, it'll be like a PMS. There might be weepiness, tearfulness, agitation, but you'll also be able to have some periods of time where you feel okay. And mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't feel heavy. It doesn't feel like it's dragging you down completely, but it's, it's an emotional roller coaster plus right. sleep deprivation. Right. 
So, <laughs> you know, adjustment and getting used to new stuff. So again, that's about 80% of women experience this period of time. Yeah. It usually resolves and in about two weeks with good enough rest and nutrition and support and the things that can, you know, help someone in the healing process anyways. But for about 20% of women, and it's different and for different ethnic groups, that number, uh, but overall about 20% of women will experience more intense symptoms or if they're in that two weeks or if their symptoms are lasting for longer than two weeks, we're look, probably looking at more like a um, perinatal mental health challenge, mm-hmm. a more than just baby blues. Mm-hmm. So those, again, if it lasts longer than two weeks, if it feels pretty intense, like it's, it does like you're not feeling like yourself uh, or things feel very strange or you, you know, you're just not quite sure what's going on. Uh, that's, those are generally signs that something uh, deeper might be happening. That's great. Yeah. So that, that was, I don't know if I answered all of your questions. Well, I think, so I think that's a wonderful description of the difference between certainly the baby blues and then postpartum mood disorders in general. Can you give us, because I think there is a big sort of misunderstanding or lack of understanding about the difference between postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. How are those things different? And I think also, I mean, I've read so much about how postpartum anxiety, for instance, is extremely underdiagnosed. So can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah. So there's a lot of times depression and anxiety come together. It's relatively rare that you would be just depressed. You could be just anxious. You're more likely to be just anxious for a period of time, but eventually that could wear on you too. Right. Not to be minimized in and of itself, certainly. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. So in terms of depression, depression feels like um, you're not motivated. You feel sad. You feel down. You can identify that feeling. What's difficult in this period of time is that you may be having an increased in sleep issues, Mm -hmm. either uh, feeling very, very tired or not tired, Mm -hmm. just unable to sleep rather. Not tired is a a separate diagnosis, but um, Mm I'm feeling... Uh, which I can get into, but um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, I can tell you. I can tell you everything. Yeah. So right, the depression, appetite changes, sleep changes, uh, feeling down, low motivation, feeling bad about yourself again, which is very common in this period of time. Yeah. And but but more like the I'm a bad mom. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Um, I right. can't do this. To a, to a debilitating right. state. Mm-hmm. Right. So all of these symptoms, in, in terms of like clinical diagnosis, part of what we look at is the symptom set, if you're mm-hmm. meeting some of the criteria for the symptoms, but also if you're having difficulty functioning. Right. So for a lot of women, they start to have difficulty functioning, getting through the day, doing kind of self-care, sometimes difficulty doing baby care as well. So we're really looking for... Again, is this happening for longer than two weeks? Is it affecting your ability to kind of get through the day? So depression feels heavy. It feels low. Your mood is low. You might be crying a lot. And more severe symptoms are having thoughts of suicide or what I call escape fantasies. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that you want to die, but you just can't do this. Mm -hmm. So once it gets to that point, the more moderate to severe symptoms, that's when we start to be, you know, obviously more and more concerned. Yeah. And something to be taken very seriously. 
and yeah. get, seek help. So in terms of anxiety, anxiety will look a little bit different. Anxiety can look like busy, doing a lot of things. From the outside, this is what it might look like. Difficulty sitting down and resting. Difficulty sleeping when you can mm-hmm. uh, or resting when you can. Uh, what's happening internally is a lot of worry. And that worry can be on a spectrum from relatively mild worries to very intense and severe worries. So the worry can be, a, you know, let me just say there's a normal hypervigilance right after birth and in the first several uh, months of just kind of checking on baby and making sure they're okay. But this kind of worry is unrelenting. Mm-hmm. You, it, you're not relieved by checking. It's you know needing to check all the time. And it can get to a point where it can develop into an um, obsessive compulsive type pattern where you're constantly checking. I mean, there's uh, several moms that I met with who talk about laying down with their baby, but just watching them the whole time, not being able to sleep at all, waiting for something because mm-hmm. they're afraid of SIDS or they're afraid of some other kind of thing that they've heard about. So their vigilance is just like on full volume. Right. And unfortunately, the sleep deprivation makes all of this worse. And with anxiety, it can become a sort of a cycle. Like, for instance, another example is a mom who's, you know, her primary job is to feed whether it's nursing or bottle feeding, they might anticipate the baby waking up. So they'll just tell themselves, well, I'm just not going to go to sleep because the baby's just going to wake up anyways. And so I'll just hang out until. So in the meantime, they're losing sleep and they're having difficulty functioning, oftentimes looking on the internet for how do I make sure to get my baby sleep or eat? And then the worry starts piling up. Right. That's an example of what anxiety can look like and feel like. In terms of the, the obsessive compulsive part, so... A lot of moms and dads, frankly, uh, experience what we call intrusive thoughts. These are really mm, like thoughts that come in very quickly, sometimes uh, not anticipated, sometimes related to the situation you're in. Mm -hmm. And they're often very scary thoughts or um, worrisome thoughts. Uh, A very common one is like, what if I drop my baby? Mm -hmm. And it's not just a passing thought. It's like some people will experience a really physical response and their whole body will sense this like tenseness of like, what if my child gets hurt? What if I hurt my child? And because they're so worried about it, the thought and that thing happening, they might start to develop behaviors to help cope with that so that those things don't happen. So for instance, if the concern is, that what if I drop my baby, they might start avoiding stairs or avoiding narrow doorways or places where they are unsure of their footing, that kind of stuff. Um, Again, to the point where they're not able to do their daily stuff because of those worries. Again, all of this is on a spectrum. So people might be experiencing some of that. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do really want to say about those intrusive thoughts is they can be very scary and worrisome. Some people get visual images with the thought. Mm -hmm. What I think is very important to know is that even though you're scared by the thoughts and maybe doing whatever you can in your power to not do those things, intrusive thoughts don't make those things happen. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do them. It's purely fear-based, purely anxiety-based. It is not at all out of a desire or want to do those things. It is absolutely just anxiety kind of that it's, again, with the volume turned up to 11. Yeah, I think it took having a baby for me to recognize in my own self how absolutely tied up 
our identities are completely interlaced with our hormones, our hormonal balance. And so when, when those things go, you know, quote unquote, out of whack, it affects every part of us. So thank you for that, uh, that description. I think it's especially important because as you said, postpartum mood disorders can occur with people who have had mood disorders in the past, but it can affect anyone. And so it's something that, you know, especially if, for instance, you never experienced anything like this, it's, it can be a hard thing to, to recognize within yourself. So appreciate that. Absolutely. And especially uh, with, well, there are different ways that this manifests, but like with new parenthood, because we're all told that, you know, like motherhood is magical and all of this great stuff is going to happen and you're going to get this, you're going to know what to do when you don't know what to do. And when it doesn't feel magical, it feels like a personal issue. It feels like a you Right. And it's absolutely not. I mean, this, uh, frankly, I think all that stuff is a setup and and we're all... (laughs) worse off because of this idealized image of motherhood. Yep. And it it puts us into a position to feel extra vulnerable. Right. And extra, you know, needing to to raise ourselves to some level that is, say, Instagram worthy, for instance. Yeah. It's it's tough. It's so tough. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I have some thoughts about social media about it. Yeah. yeah. Right. There's so much pressure during this period of time. I feel yeah. like this is the most scrutinized period of time in a woman's life. Mm-hmm. Everybody's giving you their advice and opinion and telling you what to do. And you're just, you know, trying to figure out how to get some sleep half the time. And uh, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's really intrusive, I feel. From, yes. From out, the outside world. Right. Whether or not you are dealing with a mood disorder. <laughs> right. right. So yes. intense. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. That's great. Uh, Let's take just a brief break to hear a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to hear a few tips and resources from Dr. Kat about some of the common myths and best places to start for struggling families, as well as her own favorite resources that she recommends to families that are interested in seeking out more about this topic. We were not meant to parent in isolation. The Strength in Words Community Lab brings you peace of mind. You have what matters when you need it most. We are your parenting brain trust, the place where you can have adult conversations about your baby's babbling and where you're lifted up rather than bogged down. If you're a parent or caregiver with an infant and or a toddler, we are both an early parent support and parent education hub. We're a group of families connected by the shared experience of early parenthood and strong believers in the notion that co-parenting in a positive, nurturing environment can make us each stronger. The Community Lab is an all-in-one resource that is not one-size-fits-all. Join us in finding joy in the mayhem at community.strengthinwords.com. Okay, Dr. Kat, I am hoping that you can dispel a few of those sort of most common myths about postpartum mood disorders. And just tell us what, in your opinion, as a professional who works with families that are struggling with that transition into parenthood, what are the best places to start for new parents who may be experiencing postpartum mood disorders? 
Right, sure. Um, I strongly believe that information is powerful. Mm-hmm. There's really a lack of information that we are given as new mothers about all of this, frankly. So I think getting the information first is key. And with that, and there are plenty of really great resources out there. I rely a lot on Postpartum Support International in terms of just getting symptoms, uh, understanding kind of what things are. I think, again, um, kind of looking into your symptoms from a reputable place, from a place that you know, does this, it, it's going into the internet is fascinating. Um, oh God, you yeah. find a lot of information, but <laughs> if you can start with a place that does this work and yeah. get your information there, mm-hmm. um, it's the best place to start. Definitely. It's, like I said, in my own experience, just seeing my symptoms listed out you know, on paper that I didn't, I didn't write it. Somebody else wrote this. Mm-hmm. They know what's going on. And that was such relief. Yeah. Right there. Absolutely. What about some of these common myths? What are some of the sort of common myths that you see doing the work that you're doing? I think I touched on one of them a little bit earlier, that that motherhood is magical. It's this sort of portal into amazingness. And it's along with that comes the pressure of of feeling like, well, the myth then is that you're supposed to know what to do. That is a really big one that I see a lot of people end up feeling like failures because they don't know what they're doing. I feel like we should be teaching moms that nobody knows what they're doing and where you're learning this, this is on the job training. Yeah. We are all winging it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's absolutely some prep that you can do, but you don't know until you're in there um, yeah. what's happening. I think some other, along with that, that things will come easy is that breastfeeding will come easily. And for some people it does. And for other people, it takes quite a few interventions to, to try and pump and nurse and produce. Mm-hmm. And for other people, they're unable to for any number of reasons produce. And it's just another way that people feel like failures. Along with that, there just happens in our society right now, there happens to be um, a strong push for breastfeeding, mm-hmm. which is fine. But I, I like to also put in balance there that it doesn't mean you're a failure if you can't or if you don't want to. If you don't want to, that's fine. Your baby's going to be fine. Right. And I think the most important thing, again, is the fact that you are healthy and you are able to be there, be present. And yeah, yeah I have I've found oh, for a lot of women who have a lot of difficulty nursing and breastfeeding, then it, it makes it sometimes hard to connect with their babies because of it. They're mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. so focused. And sometimes it becomes obsessive in and of itself to figure out how, you know, how to, to do this. Sure. Um, and fine, like if that's your drive to, to figure out what's going on, fine. But I, I do like to balance that out with your, your mental wellness yeah. is just as important. Yeah. And it's, again, it's, it's what is the most important piece for you. And I think it is, it's so easy to get our brains funneled into some specific thing. I certainly remember feeling like I wanted to keep track of things, right? I wanted to keep track of when I was feeding my baby, when he was sleeping to get a sense of control. And when I sort of looked up, you know, three, four months later, and I was still doing it really intensely, I was like, what? What am I doing? This isn't helping anybody. So yeah, it's rough. It is hard. That's yeah, that worry right there. Um, I, I did that too, actually. Yeah, I like it's really common. <laughs> yeah. Because it's such an out of control time. And I think holding on to those things that, for instance, we came into motherhood sort of touting or believing or or wanting out of the experience can 
it can be really difficult to separate from those things. Um, and sometimes we don't have to, but I, I don't know. I like to say that, um, you know, you can't have the perfect easy time getting pregnant, the most beautiful glowing pregnancy, the straightforward, wonderful birth, and then the most happy postpartum bonding experience plus easy time with your partner. Like something is going to give, right? (laughs) Some things. So. And that's normal. Exactly. (laughs) And anyone who says that they had all of those things is lying to you. (laughs) Right. Right. Or they are a magical creature. Yes, they are a unicorn. I wanted to know also in my mind, number one, there's a myth about the idea that just that term postpartum mood disorder, it's not necessarily something that is experienced in those early days, weeks and months. It's also something that can be experienced within those first few years. And actually in the comments here in the chat with our live workshop, we have one of our listeners here talking about how in the beginning she didn't realize that the worry was ever present. And and right. that it, it took some time. Can you speak to that a bit? And do you have experience with seeing things later that happen not within those first, you know, six to 12 weeks, but potentially when a mother is weaning, if she's breastfeeding or later on, is it something that, that always occurs in that very early time? Or can you talk right. a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't only happen in those early times. There are some significant things that can and do happen in those early times. Like if someone is going to have what is a very rare but severe condition called postpartum psychosis, often it's showing up in those first three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a very distinct break from reality. And it's very severe symptoms. Outside of that, the symptoms can develop really within any time during the first year. Mm-hmm. You could feel fine and still develop onset of symptoms within the first year. And there, some of the research shows that for symptoms that have not been worked through, resolved, or attended to, that symptoms can peak at four years wow. postpartum, okay. which is a long time to be suffering. <laughs> However, so in terms of when there are vulnerable periods of time where symptoms can start, and that is absolutely at weaning, mm-hmm. uh, restarting your period. And yeah, I mean, those are the most distinct times where biologically you'll see an onset. Right, um, because also- of course we are, there's a change in our home hormones again, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So those are more vulnerable period of times. Mm. But also, you know, there, there's other stuff that can that, that can happen. There can kind of be a slow accumulation where there's a lot of a lot of the times around six to nine months for any number of reasons. That's where we do see a lot of mm. um, either onset or increase of symptoms. Um, there. Yeah. So basically anytime within the first year, you can start experiencing this. And it is, it's hard to tell all the time when things actually really, really start. Again, there can be like a slow onset. Sleep deprivation is always going to make it worse. But in terms of even women who are going like in recovery and kind of healing in their process, there will be times in their healing where we'll see dips in whatnot, because especially if there's like a fast stop of breastfeeding or they're like, right, their period is starting or if they have had a several nights of poor sleep or if there's a new stressor in their life, like there often is, do I return to work? Partner got laid off. I don't know. Grandparent has a health issue. Any number of things. And I had actually really, someone asked, a patient asked me an interesting question, like, is what I'm experiencing really depression or is it just because of life issues? And the answer is 
it's like life issues cause depression. I mean, yeah. what this is essentially, there's your body is so complicated. There's so much going on. Yeah. And biochemically, all over the place, there's there's a lot of things happening. Oh, I'm gonna interject here for a second and <laughs> and urge all moms to have their thyroids checked. Um, because wow. that's another thing that can aggravate and make symptoms worse. So mm-hmm. sometimes women develop something called postpartum thyroiditis, mm-hmm. uh, which can make their thyroid go really high up and it makes them very anxious and jittery, mm-hmm. or they can have um, a hypothyroid, which is a low thyroid. It feels like depression. So that's something to get checked out just as a, just rule that out. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff happening. It's a, <laughs> it's a very complicated system we have in our brains and bodies. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and what depression and anxiety is, they have their own set of symptoms that we talked about, but also it's a high level of stress. Mm-hmm. And when your body is experiencing a very high level of stress, it also impacts your body functioning and increases inflammation. It does all this other stuff. And actually, I have a really great resource. There's a woman by the name of Kathleen Kendall Tackett who does amazing research. Mm-hmm. And she looks into all of this about how, you know, how does depression affect breastfeeding? How are, is inflammation and our stress response impacting this period of time in maternal mental health? That's great. Um, so I would check her out. She has amazing resources that can really go deep into explaining the kind of biological changes that are happening. Perfect. I think it's also just so important to know that fact that it it's not necessarily right at birth or right after birth that yeah. these things can come on. So in some ways, even the term postpartum is almost a misnomer because we associate it so much with those very, very early days and weeks. So Absolutely. yeah, that's yeah, tough. And I think it adds to the confusion for people yeah. who are, aren't feeling well at six, nine, 12, you know, 15 months, yeah. two years yeah. that they, another common question is, well, I had my baby a year ago. Is this postpartum? Mm-hmm. And postpartum has become the term for not feeling well now. <laughs> it's just postpartum, but whether or not it's depression or anxiety. Right. The one other question that I wanted to ask you about is the fact that, of course, these things are associated with maternal mental health, but I know there's been some research, especially in the last few years, about postpartum mood disorders affecting fathers and partners. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of statistics, paternal postpartum depression is about um, one in 10, mm-hmm. about 10% of dads wow. will experience that. They may also be experiencing anxiety, like intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, like we were discussing mm-hmm. before, along with like, let's PTSD, if there, if there was a birth trauma, even yeah. if the mom feels fine, the father could have had a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. So they're absolutely experiencing things. And I will say it's not just fathers, it's same-sex partners. Yes. And primary caregivers or primary support people. Yes. And also adoptive parents. Yes. Thank you for that distinction. Absolutely. Yeah. So one in 10 dads, however, if uh, their partner is experiencing a um, perinatal mental health challenge, they're about 50% more likely Mm -hmm. to also experience it. So the amount of stress that's on the couple is a lot anyways during this transition. I think it's about 67% of couples have marital dissatisfaction during the first year Mm -hmm. without postpartum anything. (laughs) Uh, So throw that in there and then um, it becomes challenging. So the partner 
um, the dad in this case could be very much experiencing a postpartum depression. For him, it might look more like agitation. It might look more like um, all of a sudden he wants to be at work longer and stays away from the house longer. Or even for some people, they start developing new hobbies all of a sudden. They're really trying to like stay out and stay away, which you know, it's challenging for mm-hmm. a, a mom who's having a hard time because mm-hmm. she needs help. And, and this is where a lot of the conflict happens. So some of the newer research is showing that that for dads, it might peak in around three to six months for them. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read all of that research yet, but my professional guess is that there could be one of two things, like an accumulation of stress, but also oftentimes partners won't experience their symptoms at the same time. Mm-hmm. We see this a lot in perinatal loss and grief is that oftentimes if there's going to be like a grief response, the mom is experiencing it first. And then once she starts to resolve and get better, the dad or the partner will begin experiencing their stuff. It's almost like one person's trying to keep it together. Yeah. And then when they, you know, are feeling better, then the other person starts to kind of dissolve into their stress. It makes a lot of sense. Thank you for speaking to that. Do you have any other resources for families who'd like to learn a bit more? You mentioned a couple of really great ones. Are there any others? Yeah, there there are quite a... (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, in terms, you know, I I know a lot of organizations who do training. Mm -hmm. So if if you have any listeners who are mental health professionals or really in any way help or support perinatal women, pregnant, postpartum, there's a lot of really great training out there to kind of dig into this and Mm -hmm. understand a little bit more. I find like a lot of doulas really um, find the additional information beneficial. Absolutely. So I said that Mm -hmm. postpartum.net, maternal mental health now, and um, Seleni Institute and um, a postpartum stress center. Great. Those are all great places. Oh, and Postpartum Action Institute. Great places for training. Before, if you're interested in kind of the legal advocacy part, 2020 Mom is a great organization for mm-hmm. that. They do a lot of work to try and get laws changed and bills on the books to change our systems yes. so that we can support women better. And uh, in terms of information resources, postpartum.net is really great. They have the information, but also they have online support groups, both in English and in Spanish every week. You have the opportunity to call in and chat with an expert once a week of women and moms too. And for dads, it's once a month, you can call in and chat with an expert. So that, yeah, they're, the way they're set up for their online support is That's... great. And they have a warm line. So with volunteers all over the United States and internationally, actually. So if you yourself are experiencing symptoms, you can go to their website, click on your state, and then scroll down the list of providers that could be near you. You, you call them, not providers, rather volunteers that could be near you and you call them and they, those volunteers have a list of resources in your area and they can help connect you to the appropriate therapist or some people have other types of supports listed too. That's so fantastic. Thanks for that. Well, thanks so much, Kat. And thanks to all of our community lab members who are here listening live. We are going to continue the discussion and open up for a short Q&A session with you guys in just a minute. For everyone listening from home or on the go, thanks so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Thanks for being here. See you later. What will you do the rest of your day? Goodbye to the babies. Goodbye to the toddlers. Goodbye, bigger kids. Goodbye to the siblings. Goodbye to the grown-ups. Goodbye to the singers. Goodbye, Ayelin. Goodbye, Dr. Cat. We laughed and we played. We're getting very clever. This is what counts. Being here together. 
Thank you so much, everyone. The Strength in Words podcast brings you information, tips, and resources about all things early parenthood and early childhood. The place to synthesize that information, share your struggles and concerns, and add your own ideas and experiences is the Strength in Words Community Lab. Head to community.strengthinwords.com and request to join today. Do you like the hello and goodbye songs we feature on each episode? You can find those and a whole host of other songs on our Strength and Words Music for Families album, available for purchase straight from our website at strengthandwords.com backslash music for families or on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Digital Music. If you haven't yet done so, please do leave a review of the Strength and Words podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps other people find the good work we're doing. And after you've done that, Go ahead and share strength in words with a friend or colleague. See you next time.